Well, open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're just about to finish this series we've been studying for a while on spiritual warfare. I'm going to read through the Scriptures, and then I'm going to get right into this particular piece of warfare that we're going to talk about tonight. And when you hear what we're going to get into, and you remember the last song we just sang, I I just laughed through the whole song. God's got a great sense of humor. And uh, because I don't know how long ago they prepared that list, but it's months. And what I'm going to share with you just came to me this afternoon. So, and it fits right in. God's so good. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand, or some translations say, stand in the evil day. Having done all, stand. Stand, therefore. I think he wants us to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot or put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you may quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer, that literally means all manner of prayer, and supplication in the Spirit, being watchable to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, It's a mouthful, but it's all about spiritual warfare, and I'm not going to go back through all these different ones that we and review them again. I know it's been several weeks, but we've gone over them and over them and over again, and I really want to get this finished. I want to do this, the last two, I'm I'm going to do one of them tonight, and then the next time I'm going to do, I believe, the last one, and then one more in prayer, and then that's going to finish it, and we're going to get on to some other things that are on my heart to get into. But we talked basically that we're in spiritual warfare. This teaches us that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not a person, whether it's your mother-in-law or father-in-law or spouse or your boss. It's not a person. They may be the vehicle that the enemy's using, but your warfare is not against them. It's very important to understand. Also, we found out that the weapons that we've been given are not like the weapons of the enemy. The weapons he has are just wiles, tricks, deceits, where we have the power of God, the weapons of God. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. And then we've gone through and looked at some of these different pieces of armor. And I've heard all kinds of studies about them, but what we've really seen is really what it is is putting God on, because these are all part of God's attributes. And when we get to the end of the study, I'll go back and show you some scriptures in the Old Testament that confirm that. So don't get hung up on which, whether, which piece is in the right place, which is basically putting God's character and God's nature on. And we've looked at and studied that we can do that because we are God's child. When you become born again, when you give your life to Christ, literally you become His child. And the way you become his child is God takes your old nature out, births, births a new nature in you, and that nature is his nature. So you have his nature, his quality, his characteristics in you. It's just that we've not learned how or practiced putting them on. So in essence, what he's really saying is put God on, and when you put him on, he's the perfect defense. You don't have to defend yourself. In fact, that's one of the tricks of the enemy is to get you to defend yourself. That's the, that's the very first trick he pulled, and he pulled it on Eve to try to get her to defend God and to defend herself. And God never told them to defend him. He never told them to defend himself. He just said, obey me. And his instructions are the same today as they were back in the Garden of Eden. 
And so that's what we've looked at. We've gone through the different parts. And, and the last one we've been studying is the shield of faith with which you quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. And the last study we had together, we went through a story in the Old Testament about Hezekiah and the king Sennacherib who came up to him. We saw in that story an example of these principles of faith and of the wiles of the devil trying to use deceit to undermine their confidence in God because it was their confidence in God that was going to defend them and not their bows and arrows and their fortresses. All right, so now what we're going to look at is the, 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 in verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spear. We're going to look at the helmet of salvation. Now, I, you know, uh, uh, it's not so much true today, but I, one of the, 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 the few things that I'll really get interested in television is old movies. I like the movies from the 40s. Back then... The ladies dress differently than they do today, and the men dress differently. You wouldn't see a man go out of a house without a hat on. Whether it was summer or winter, you wouldn't see a lady go out without a hat on or without gloves on. And ladies, from what I understand, you had to wear the right hat for the right occasion. So what we're going to study tonight is wearing the right hat. And the hat we have to learn how to wear is the helmet of salvation. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the helmet of salvation. Now, if you look over, you don't need to turn there. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, it also talks about the helmet of salvation, but it refers to as the hope of the helmet of salvation. Now, the word helmet in Greek is an interesting word because literally what it means is to take something and wrap it around your head. And it was a piece of cloth to take something and wrap it around your head for the purpose of protecting it, whether it was from the sunlight or from something from the outside. And so we're seeing here that this piece of the armor is something that's designed to protect your head. Well, let me ask you a question. What's in your head? Anybody got anything in your head? <laughs> What's in there? Your head. Your, your head's there. Your, your brain is in there. But let me, I won't have time to get into this distinction so much tonight, but when I've taught a course on the renewing the mind, one of the principles I teach is there's a difference between your mind and your brain. Your brain is a piece of tissue, electric current, and different chemicals. Your mind is the part of you that thinks. It uses your brain as an organ, but once your dead, your brain will cease to function, but your mind will continue to work because your mind is part of your soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, and those are part of the eternal you that will go on and be with you in heaven. Your brain is the part of your body that your mind uses. Now, don't get hung up on this. But when your brain stops working, your mind will continue to function. It just won't function inside your brain. So that will give some of you hope. <clears throat> if you may not have as much brain as you think you should, that's not going to limit your mind. And the Bible says we have the mind of Christ, not the brain of Christ. All right. <laughs> So obviously, whatever this is, is intended to protect that part of us by which we think. Now, I want you to all say this word with me in church. Ready? Think. <laughs> say it again. Think. I want, to, I want to make sure you understand. It is not a sin to think. 
It's not a sin. I've been in, in some circles where you'd almost think it is. They wouldn't come out and say that. But they'll, 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 they'll mock you for being educated and make fun of you for being educated. Most people that do that aren't educated. There's nothing wrong with education as long as that education isn't your God. Paul was highly educated. But he learned how to submit his education to the Word of God. But the Bible, the Bible says a whole lot about thinking. It tells us what to think, what not to think. We're going to look at a scripture, which I believe we'll get to tonight, that talks about controlling your thinking. In fact, turn with me right now to, to Romans chapter 12. Because what the helmet of salvation is, it's, we're going to look at what it's putting God on, an aspect of God that we put on through the way we think. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So you are what you think. Your body is what you eat. Your soul is what you think. Romans chapter 12. Very famous verse. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He's talking now, the first 11 chapters talk about what God's done for us. This is often Paul's pattern. I've taught you this before. Paul's pattern in a number of his books is the first half of the book he teach, talks about what God's done for us. And then he begins to talk about what we should do as a result of what he's done for us. And that's the pattern here. The first 11 chapters talk about the mercy of God that we're saved by faith, by faith and talks about what faith is and then talks about that faith is an act of God's grace. God gives us that gift of faith as an act of grace and we receive that grace that he's given to us by faith. Then he talks about what faith is. And then he talks about living that faith out. But chapter 12, now he talks about what we're going to do as a result of that. And these are really two of the same things. The first is what we're to do with our bodies as a result of what he's done, and it's to present a living sacrifice. Now think about that a second. What, what you do with a sacrifice. Now, our idea of sacrifice is giving something up. But to them, a sacrifice meant pictured immediately an altar, not something like this, but a stone slab of stone, whether it was on the ground or it was supported by other stones, on which you would take an animal and you would either, you would usually cut it open, either cut its heart out or cut, kill its heart, cut it open, drain the blood out, and then you would set it on fire. And the idea of the fire is you were burning it up and offering it up as the, the smoke and the flames as an incense to God. But the idea is that you're taking something and laying it on an altar and when, when that thing gets on the altar, it no longer has control over what's going to happen to it. They would tie it down so it couldn't jump off. So the idea of a sacrifice here is you're taking your body and you're giving it to God whereby you no longer exercise your will over it, but God now has the right to have the ultimate authority over your body. We live in a land and a society today where one of the most charged issues in our society is whether a woman has the right of, to what to do with her body or not. And that's the whole issue around abortion. The whole issue around abortion is called a right to life. 
That's the side of preserving the life in there. But the, but the right of choice, the whole idea behind it, is I have a right to choose what to do with my body. And I believe we have that right to choose what to do, but we also need to live with the consequences of our choices. And we live in a society where people want to do what they want with their bodies, but they don't want the responsibility of the choices that they've made. So we want to be free to do what we want to do, but I don't want to be responsible for my choices. And that's really what's at the bottom of the whole issue. But I don't want to get into that tonight. (laughs) The point is what's so charged is it's my body, I've got a right to do with it. And here Paul says, that's true, but once you come to Christ, what you are to do as an honor to what He's done for you is to present your body a living sacrifice to Him. In other words, you give it to Him for Him to do with your body what He wants to do with your body. Now the good news is He doesn't want to lay it down on a, wooden, on a, on a, on a stone slab and He doesn't want to set it on fire. That would be a lot easier than what He does want to do with it. Oh, we may meddle tonight. <laughs> What's not my intention? That means he may want to have control over what you put in it. Or don't put in it. Or when you put it in it. Or, or how much you put in it. <laughs> or, or where you take it. Or what you expose it to. Because it's not yours anymore. It's His. He's entrusted it to you, but it's His. You'll find out you'll have a lot less trouble with it. You'll find out you'll have much greater peace when you give it to Him. And you let Him decide what you're going to do with it. Now, don't get under bondage with this. It's a basic principle that it's not yours to do what you want with it. Once you come to Christ, it's now His. So He chooses where you take it and where you don't. See, it's my rights. No, you don't have any rights. Understand this. There's no person that's an island unto themselves. There's no person that's their own God. That's an illusion. That's a device of the enemy. Because the way man was designed, we were not designed to be our own God. You're either under God's lordship or you're under Satan's lordship. You're under one of the two. And if you think you're on your own, guess which one you're under? That's what the Bible says. And so here's this principle he's teaching us. Because of the mercies of God, because of what God's done for us, now take your body. Then notice he doesn't take it from you. He requires you to give it to Him as an act of love and an act of worship. But the next verse is the same principle. So the first verse is to take one-third of you, your body, and present it to Him as a living sacrifice. The next verse talks about another part of you, which is your soul. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So when you're born again, there's, there's, by the way, there's three parts to you. Spirit, soul, and body. We've talked about that before. When you come to Christ, when you quote-unquote give your life to Him, we use that term so loosely without thinking what we mean by it. But if you gave your life to Him, it's not yours anymore, is it? 
It's His. But we kind of use that as a loose term for saying, I'm born again. But when you come to Christ and you give your life to Him and you're born again, He takes your old nature out and puts a new nature in you. You get a brand new spirit and that spirit's born of Him. So that spirit has God's nature in you. That's one-third of you. God changed one-third of you when you came to Christ. But there's two other thirds to you. He didn't change those. So the first part of you, he's telling you, which is your body, you're to, you're to change by presenting it to him as a holy sacrifice. The second part, we're responsible for changing by renewing our mind. Now, what does it mean to renew our mind? It simply means to change how you think. In school of ministry, when I taught renewing the mind, one of the things I would teach is, is your mind, all of our minds, work in patterns of thought. And you may think, my mind doesn't work in any patterns of thought. I didn't say they were logical. I didn't say they made sense, but they are patterns of thought. And renewing your mind means changing those patterns of thoughts. Go with me to Isaiah 55, and you'll see what I was chuckling about earlier. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the, let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so he starts out by saying, I don't think the way you think. And you don't think the way I don't think. My ways are not your ways. Now, there's a difference between thoughts and ways. Thoughts are the ideas that run through your mind and the patterns of those ideas. Ways are habits and attitudes. The Bible talks about the ways of a maiden, a man with a maiden. And it talks about, you know, knowing somebody's ways. Now, we've been married this July 45 years. We, we, we know each other's ways. Not everything, because we're still changing and growing. But I can tell what her look means. That's because I know her ways. She can tell what, my, what I'm thinking. She can tell what my mood is. She can tell where I... Because she knows my ways. Because we've spent time together and communicated together. She may not always know my thoughts, but she knows my ways. It's, it's the mannerism. It's the way I do things. It's the manner about me. And she knows what those are. Moods, attitudes, things like that constitute ways. So God says, not only do not, do not I think the same way I, you think, my ways are not like your ways. But now, just in case there's any confusion about what the difference is like, he says, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher, say higher, so we all know what that is. Higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How long ago did you pick that song out? 
the first week in January, that last song we picked, which is My Ways Are Not Your Ways. All right. I got this verse at 2.30 this afternoon. The Spirit of God wants to say something to us tonight. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but it waters the earth and will make and bring forth bud and will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, in the same way my word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return void, but it will accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isn't it interesting? I just saw this tonight. The next piece of armor is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We're going to look at another verse that links together next time, another verse that links together these two thoughts about our thoughts and our words. God's thoughts and words are linked together. Your thoughts and words are linked together. But here what I want to say is God's telling us this, because we've just seen in Romans 12 that we are, we are to renew our mind. We are to be transformed or changed by the renewing of the way we think. Now, when I went to law school, and we've got a couple of lawyers in here tonight also, so I'm assuming they had the same experience, although they went a few years later than I did. When I went to law school, one of the things I'd learned, because actually my stepfather was a lawyer, so I was prepared for this. He said, he said they don't teach you law in law school. You learn some. He said, what they do is they brainwash you. In other words, they teach you to think differently. And here's how that works. In basic law in certain areas, like a contract or a tort, which is like an accident or something, somebody injures somebody else. In order to win before that judge, there, if I remember correctly, we're going back a few years, there are five basic things you've got to be able to prove to the judge. So you come and sit down in my office and you tell me your tale of woe. I'm not listening to a story. I'm listening to see if those five elements are there. You following me? Because your tale of woe doesn't do any good before the judge. I've got to be able to prove those four or five things. Let me give you a better example that you may be able to relate to. Have you ever gone into a place like Starbucks where they got 14 million op? possible combinations you can have. I mean, I grew up, you just, it was either black, regular, you know, or whatever, okay? Now they got 14 variations. You know, I just drink coffee black. It's real simple. But my wife has all kinds of permutations and combinations and things that she likes, and that's fine. She's, she's more complex than I am in some ways, okay? And that's great. But, but I asked one of these guys one day, because I'm sitting in line, and, and, and somebody gives them a long order one way, and another gives them a long order another way. And I said, let me ask you a question. How do you remember that? And they said, it's simple. We're trained that no matter what order you give them to us, we listen, first of all, for temperature, size. Some, they, they have an order that they listen to no matter how you tell it to them. So they're going down their checklist. Hot, small, cream, whatever. What's happened? When you went to their school, they retrained their mind to think in a particular pattern of thinking. So that no matter what comes into the mind and where it comes in in that subject area, they've been trained to fit it into a certain order so it's beneficial to what they're supposed to do. Everybody follow me on that? That's what it means to renew your mind. 
That's all it means. Because all kinds of thoughts come at your mind, come up into your mind. Your thoughts either come from the Spirit of God, from the enemy, or from you. And they have all have different purposes. None of those thoughts, they're all seeds that are intended to be sown in your heart. So we've talked about this before when we talked about the breastplate of righteousness because the purpose of that is to protect things from getting sown into your heart. But one of the ways they get into your heart is through your mind. And remember, we're talking about armor for protection in spiritual warfare. So one of the ways, one of the avenues to get at your heart is through the thoughts of your mind. What you think on is critical. What you meditate on and think on is critical. You are living today with the fruit of what you've been thinking about and what you've been saying. So what God is telling us here is the helmet of salvation is to protect your mind by learning to think the way God thinks in those situations. Just like that Starbucks person learns to think the way they're trained to think, you've got to learn, and I have have a job to learn, to think the way God thinks. And the first thing we see is that God doesn't think the way you and I naturally think. And then he tells us he thinks in a way that's higher. We're going to look at what that means. He He thinks in a way that's higher and better than our way of thinking. And his ways, as a result, are higher than our ways. Now, let's go back to Romans 12. I should have told you to stick something there. We'll look at an example of some of these ways. So you and I have a responsibility to study this Word, not just study it, but meditate it to a point that we learn to think in a situation what God thinks about it instead of reacting the way your mind has been trained. Your mind has already been trained. From a little child, your mind is trained. I remember early on, when our children were small, especially our younger two, because the older ones, it was longer ago, I don't remember as much. I remember when something happened, I remember the first time they fell down. I remember, and they bumped their head, and you know, you would go, oh, 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 my baby, especially the first one. Oh, they've got a bump on them. But I decided to wait and see what happened. I mean, it, you know, they didn't fall far. They had, it wasn't far to fall. If I had them bump their head, I wanted to watch and see what happened. Because, you know, your children will teach you a whole lot if you just watch them. Fell down, bumped his head, and didn't come up. Ah! He came up and looked at me. And I realized... He doesn't know how to interpret what just happened. So he's looking to me to teach him what that meant. So if I rush in all panicked, I'm teaching that child, there's something wrong there, you better panic. As a little child we begin, and you were trained as a child, not intentionally necessarily, but it's still training how to think about situations. And we grow up and those things are still affecting us until we go root them out. And we root them out 
with the Word of God. By learning what does God say about it. So the beginning, once a situation rises, is to find it, okay, this is what I'm, my mind's saying, but what does God say about this? And your question may be, well, Pastor, what does God say about it? That's why we have Bibles in the bookstore. So you can get one, and you can get into it yourself and find out what the Bible says. That's your job. I'm here to help you point the way, but it's your job to find out what this says every time you come in here. Every time you hear a message, whether it's me or one of the other pastors or some visiting minister, we're here to tell you what God says about situations. But you've got to take it, find out for yourself, but then that's not enough. Now you've got to, you've got to do the same thing with this word that your parents did. With, your, with their words. You've got to do the same thing. You've got to undo. You can't undo what's in there. You've got to replace it with new. And as you study this and meditate on it, what you'll find is your mind will begin to react differently than it used to. It takes time and it's a process, but it's well worth the effort because we're talking about spiritual warfare, not getting bumps on our head, spiritually. You're tired of getting lumps on your head? Well, then we need to renew our mind to what God says. So let's look at some of these examples of how to renew our mind. Let's we'll go back to Romans 12. Let's look over in verse 14, for instance. And these are some of the things we... There's some other things. Here, but let's, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Now, let me ask you this question. Is that your natural reaction? Is that what you were trained to do? Keep something there. And go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at how we were trained. How the world still trains us. Matthew 5, verse 38 but you've heard it said. <laughs> an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, you may not have heard it that way as a child, but you've heard the principle of calling getting even. But I tell you, oh, here's another way to think. Not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, we'll put that in perspective. If anyone wants to sue you, go hire a lawyer and sue him first. Oh, no, 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 that's not in here. Excuse me. That was when I was a law student. I'm sorry. If anyone's to... But isn't that what our society's like? We were talking to the lady on the... We were sitting on the beach when we actually went to get a hot dog. We are talking to the lady that sells the, rents the beach umbrellas. And, and, and I don't know if we got into the conversation. It was a windy day. And she said, I don't put my umbrellas out on windy days. I said, why not? She said, because a year or so ago, one of them blew over, blew up in the air, and I got sued by somebody. She said, I don't even know if it was my umbrella, because there were umbrellas flying all over the place. And this girl, girl's mother got hit. She went back home and sued me. There's, from the little I could understand, there was no way they had a case, but she got a lawyer to take a case, sued the insurance company, and because it was not worth the insurance company's time and money to defend that kind of claim, they just paid it. And that's what the lawyer knew ahead of time was going to happen. 
We live in a society that their first reaction is, sue them. See what you can get. The real shame is that's the attitude among Christians. Now we're talking about spiritual warfare. You do not realize that when you give in to that spirit, that's a spirit of greed you're giving into. I'm going to get my... That doesn't mean there's not times that you may need to stand up for something. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this act, it's the greed. I'm going to get something. Oh, here's my chance to get rich. There's a spirit about... We're talking about spiritual warfare. And we're talking about defending, protecting ourselves against spiritual warfare. And one of the ways the Bible's teaching us that we defend ourselves... And remember, we don't defend ourselves. We put God on and He defends us. But you can't put God on and think differently than He thinks. Any more that you can put God on and not walk in truth, any more that you can put God on and not walk in righteousness, any more than you can put God on and not walk in peace, any more than you can put God on and not walk in faith. You've got to walk in all these fruits of the Spirit in order to walk in God. You can't walk in God and not be walking in those fruits because God is them. (laughs) And this is how God thinks. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. So when we're under some kind of an attack, we need to learn to think how God thinks about that. Because when we do that, we put Him on. We have Him on the inside, but on the inside doesn't do us any good. We need Him on the outside protecting us. So here we say, get even is not the way God thinks. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God doesn't keep a scorecard? waiting for that day he can get even at what we've done against him and said against him. I'm glad his ways are higher than our ways. If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic, then let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you, makes you go a mile, then go with him too. Give to him who asks from you, and from him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. Now he's not saying being foolish. You can't take this... There's a context of what he's talking about here. And this is the same discussion. We're really going to end it now. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the world teaches. That's what we were trained to do. But I say to you... Oh, here's another way of thinking. Remember, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. We're seeing here an example of our thoughts and an example of God's thoughts. Our thoughts... Our, our heads unprotected. His thoughts, our heads protected. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the way the world trains us to think. But I say to you, ah, oh, another way to think. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Each one of these gets a little tougher. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You've heard me say this over and over again. That's the high, to me, the worst kind. We're talking about somebody that's personally picked you out and says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to despitefully use you. And what does God say about that? Pray for them. Not God, get them. (laughs) 
but bless them. How can I do that? Well, God's done that for us. But see, the key's here in the next verse, verse 45. And this goes all the way back to verse 38 when he says, I say, I say whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the left. I say, whoever um, takes, takes your tunic, give your cloak. Whoever compels you to go with a mile, go. In other words, don't react the way the world reacts. The world reacts to something done against you by fighting back and resisting, defending yourself, protecting yourself, promoting yourself. That's what this is all about. It's about self. And he's saying, don't do that, but do what your Father in Heaven would do. He didn't do that towards us, did He? We used Him. He didn't strike us back. Instead, He blessed us. We've slapped Him on the face, maybe not physically, but certainly with our attitudes and our words. And what did He do? He turned the other cheek, just meant He was patient with us. He continued to be vulnerable to us. See, all of this really is walking in love. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love never fails. It's all about walking in love because that's God's nature and that's God's character. But you can't walk in love unless you think His thoughts. And then you think His thoughts, you'll begin to walk in His ways and His ways are love. Love is always the higher way. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, let me show you in the beginning, let me show you a better way, something higher. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation, the supernatural manifestation of God in our presence. He says, I'm going to talk to you about these things, but there's a higher, there's something higher than that. And he talks about the motive of love. He says, if you do these, all these things and they're not done out of love, then in God's eyes, in God's ears, they're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. They're useless to God because God doesn't think in those terms. Everything God does, He does out of love. That's why it's higher. That's why it's better. And this is how love acts. Love doesn't defend itself. That doesn't mean there's not a time that you shouldn't put a defense up, but it's not for the purpose of promoting yourself. Do you understand the difference? Because after I teach one of these, I know I'll have somebody, and that's okay if you want to come. Well, I've got this situation, Pastor. Is it okay to do that? The, the question is, are you promoting yourself? Are you, are you standing up for yourself in some cases, I mean, I, I've, I was involved a number of years ago. Our children were involved in a, in a car accident, and I wrestled with this issue because the guy was clearly wrong. And I finally came to the place of, of deciding I needed to go to court and press the claim for the sake of my kids. I didn't do it for me. I did it for them. I wasn't trying. It wasn't because somebody offended me or hurt me. I was doing what I thought was right to right a situation. That's different. This is all about me. You understand the difference? Promoting me, making me look good, you know, my rights, me, my, mine, mine. That's the spirit that's behind this that Jesus is talking about. Okay. Verse 45. We're to do these things with that attitude that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, act like your Father 
who is in heaven. For He makes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. If you just love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? In other words, you're just like the world. In other words, you think like the world thinks. But we're to not think the way the world thinks. We're to think the way God thinks so that we can act the way God acts. And we do that. He's our protection. He's our defense. And we don't need to take care of ourselves because He will take... You ever realize how much God wants to take care of you? That's what's the core here of all this discussion in Matthew. In Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. Jesus says, Why are you so anxious about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat? Because he's talking about the heart. Because you're anxious with your heart. He's talking about what you're seeking there. He's saying, see, the things you think about, the things that take up your thoughts, are the things that your heart tends to seek. The reason your thoughts are so critical is because they're ultimately tied to your heart. They direct your heart. If you want to change what you're seeking after, change what you think about. Just if you want to change what your appetite desires, change what you eat. If you don't want to crave sweets, stop eating them. So wait a minute. Start eating healthy food. Start eating fresh vegetables. And what you'll find is they'll begin to taste better to you than that hot fudge sundae. You will get to a place where you'll look at a hot fudge sundae and say... Oh my gosh, your skin will start crawling at how sweet it is. I've been there. (laughs) But you change what you eat changes what you desire to eat. You change what you think about and it changes what your heart seeks after. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Which is why Jesus says, Don't you know that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask? Therefore, don't be like the Gentiles. Why? What do you mean there? The Gentiles don't think like God thinks. They have to worry about what... Gentiles mean somebody that doesn't have God. They have to worry about what they're going to eat because they don't have confidence God's going to supply it for them because they don't have a covenant relationship with Him. But we have a covenant relationship with God and He's saying because of that, why are you even concerned about what's going to happen to you? Don't you know your Father loves you and is going to take care of you? But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Change how you think about your needs. Change how you think about what you're dealing with and what you're going through and recognizing you're not alone. What does God say about it? Hebrews chapter 13 says, I will never, no, never, in the original language, I will never, no, never, no, never abandon you or leave you utterly cast down. And if you look at the verse before, he's talking about your finances. That's what, now that's what God says. So now you've got a choice of how you're going to think when you look at your checkbook and you balance it, because of course you do, and you'll find that you do not have enough money for bills. Now what do you do? Do you run off and panic and say, i got to get 14 jobs and i got to do this and I, 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 I? 
Or do you just pull aside and lay it before God and say, Father, this is our situation. I have a covenant with you. I'm a tither. You are, of course. I'm a tither. I'm in covenant with you. You've made these promises. Now, what are, what are, what are we going to do? I'm not going to worry about it. Because your word says, be anxious for no thing. But in everything you'd be anxious for, it's Philippians chapter 4, make your request be known unto God. In fact, turn with me there, Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at another thing, way that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Philippians 4. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Say nothing. That includes your bills. That includes your health. That includes your relationships. That includes your children, your grandchildren. That includes whatever would make you anxious is something. And we're not to be anxious for anything. But there is something we are to do. But in everything, that's everything you'd be anxious about, by prayer and supplication, that means asking, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that's your mind, will guard you. What's going to guard your heart? The peace of God's going to guard your heart. When you choose to do what He says, the peace of God will guard you. He'll guard your heart. That's armor, protection. Finally, my brethren, what are, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. So here's your filter. Thoughts come. Now you can, you know, you know, the bill arrives and you look at it and say, oh my goodness, this bill says we owe so and so. That's not, that, we're not talking about that. That's the fact. It's what you think about that. We've talked about that before. It's not the thought. It's what you do with the thought that counts. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the story of the three armies that came against Jehoshaphat. When he, found, when he heard the report, it said he feared. That was his first thought, but he didn't stay there. The next thing he chose to do was to seek the Lord. Now, he didn't have this word in front of him that you and I have, so he had to go to the temple and ask God what God thought about it. But what he did is his next thought is, okay, God, what do you say about it? So these are the things we're to think about. Things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me. These things do in the peace of... So what he's saying is not just that, but you've watched me. Later on, another, ver- another cha- uh, letter, Paul says, imitate my faith. Imitate me as I imitate the Lord. God puts people in your lives as examples. Some of them are people you can read, old saints. Some of them are people God lied, people God will put in your life. And he puts them there to be an example to you of walk of faith, an example to you, people that God that have been walking with God for years and have a track record of his faith. Doesn't mean they were perfect, but they're, 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 they're living examples 
examples of 20, 30, 40 years of God's faithfulness and their proving God over and over again and seeing what God... Imitate them! Now we're going to look at another thing to renew your mind to. Verse 11. He's talking about his his financial needs here. Not that I speak in regard to need. Look at verse 11. For I have learned in whatever state I am in, whether it's Rhode Island or Massachusetts, (laughs) whatever state I am in, whatever condition my circumstances are, I have learned. That doesn't mean he started out that way. He had to learn how to do this. How did he learn how to do it? By doing what we just read. I have learned how to be content, not anxious, not fretting. That doesn't mean you've got to stay in lack, but he could survive in it. Look at this. He said, I've learned how to be a base. That means have nothing And I've learned how to abound. That means have everything. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. In other words, my natural circumstances, whether my bank account is overflowing or I don't know where my next meal is coming from. It doesn't change what I do. It doesn't change how I feel. It doesn't change who I am. Why? Because I've changed how I think about it. I don't think about it the way the world thinks about it. I think about it the way God thinks about it. I look at it in His terms. You see this in Jesus. You don't see Jesus talking about what he had or didn't have. His disciples would get nervous. Peter came to him and says, Lord, they're talking about paying taxes. April 15th coming up. What are we going to do? And Jesus, see, Jesus' attitude was, my father's going to take care of us. He wasn't shocked when that happened. They were out in the middle of nowhere with what, just a boy's lunch to feed some 20,000 people. And the disciples come all anxious. What are we going to do? See, they were trying to figure out what to do. They took a... They took a this is the way our brains were. This is the old way of thinking. They took a survey, an inventory of what they had, just a boy's lunch. They took the report of the need, 5,000 men plus the women and children. So that may have been 20,000 people all hungry because they've been out there for a number of days. Then the third element they have is there's no McDonald's, no Shaw's, no, you know, there's no stop and shop, there's no caterer, there's nowhere to go. So there's, well, all we've got, we've got 20,000 people who are hungry, we've got no source that we can see by which our natural understanding says it's going to be met. All we do have is this little boy's lunch. Therefore, when you put all these things logically together, we don't have enough. And they're starting to panic. But they did the smart thing. They brought the situation to Jesus. And what was Jesus' answer to them? Bring what you have to me. And then what did he do? He gave thanks to the Father. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything you'd be anxious about, make your request be made known with thanksgiving. And then it just seemed to multiply. 
when there was no money for the taxes. Peter, go down and catch a fish. Whatever he turned, he knew it was going to be there. Why? Because you see, Jesus thought the way his father thought, which is, don't you know, my father knows what you need before you ask. Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things you need will be added unto you. We spend far too much time praying about our needs and not seeking his kingdom first. We need to take him at his word, which says God knows your need before you know it. And he wants to meet your need. You don't even need to ask him. What you need to do is ask him what his need is. See, Jesus wasn't concerned with his need. His only focus was on what his father's need was. See, this is how God works. While you're busy taking care of his need, which is his kingdom and his righteousness, God's busy taking care of your need. Now, let me ask you a question. Who can do a better job of taking care of your need? You or God? But here's the difference. See, when I'm taking care of my need, I'm in control. I don't need to use faith. I'm going by what I see. I'm looking at the boys' lunch. I'm looking at my experience. That's not enough. I'm looking at no, no Shaw's or no stop and shop. I'm looking at all these things with my own understanding, and I figured out we're going to come up way short. Now I'm going into panic mode. I'm going into emergency mode. I remember <laughs> when I was first saved, I was part of a Bible study at, a, at, 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 at the government center in Boston. Yeah. And, and there was a dear lady there. I was just brand new in the Lord, but I knew enough she was wrong. And we're going through the story in the Bible about the feeding of the 5,000. She says, I figured out, which was the first clue, she'd figured it out. I figured out how he did it. What he did is he was able to divide this boy's love shop in enough small pieces so that he could distribute to everybody. And I looked at her and I looked at the scriptures and I said, Ma'am, that's a bigger miracle than the way I understand it. Because it goes on to say, and they were all satisfied, and there were 12 baskets left over. Now, see what she was doing? Instead of learning to think about it the way the Word says, she was trying to make the Word conform to how she thought. And that's what we do so often and don't realize it. When we do... We're protecting our own mind by our own understanding. Somewhere, I remember at some point, a verse in Proverbs that I said, I think I says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge means know or understand how he thinks. In all your ways, understand His ways and, and He will direct your steps. It's that simple. The helmet of salvation is nothing more than renewing your mind to think about the situations in your life 
the way God thinks about them because his ways are always higher. He doesn't protect himself. We don't protect ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves or stand up for ourselves and get back at people. I didn't get into If you read in Romans 12, at the end of Romans 12, he talks more about that. He talks about, he talks about don't ever return evil for evil, but always return good for evil. That's a good way to govern your life. Return. Don't just let it go. Do something good back. Bless those. And you, when you bless those, we're going to talk more about that as we get into this year. As you bless those that don't look like they deserve to be blessed, what you do is you open up God's blessings on you. Why? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. Love never fails. It may not win tomorrow, but in the long run, it never fails.